Well, good morning. We're, we're continuing our conversation that Pastor Ashish began last week in the book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible or a phone or a tablet or something, you want to look up Daniel chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. I want to start by just telling you that when I was a teenager in church, we had what was called uh, Sunday school. Anybody else have Sunday school when you were growing up? Okay, some of you have some. If you haven't, it's like a one-hour class that came before worship and somebody would try to teach the kids and like somebody who drew the short straw had to try to teach the teenagers. At least that's how it worked in our, in our church. And I remember like we had all these different topics and I would come into class um, and just throw questions at whoever was teaching that day. Like those kind of really frustrating teenager questions that really don't have much of an answer probably and aren't really on topic either. So I'd be like, hey, we're going to talk about Daniel 2 today and I'd raise my hand and be like, but why is there evil in the world at all? And you can see the teachers just like, why did I sign up to do this? I shouldn't have volunteered to do this, especially when this kid's in the class. I had so many questions when I was a kid. Sometimes I was just trying to be annoying, but oftentimes... I just genuinely wanted to know the answers to the questions. And so I would ask question after question after question, and sometimes you get really good answers, and sometimes you would get unsatisfying answers. I asked questions like, how do we know that Jesus was a real person? Who actually wrote these books of the Bible? Does anybody know? How do we know that Jesus came back to life? What does eternal life really mean? What does that look like? Are we all playing golf for eternity? I don't like golf. How come there is so much evil in the world? And many of those folks did uh, their best to answer my questions, but eventually they would say things like, you should probably go meet with the pastor. <laughs> and the pastor would see me coming and kind of go, okay, here we go. I better get, my, better get my thinking hat on. And he was very patient with me. And he would try to answer my questions. But even after a few years of bugging the pastor, the pastor would say, you should probably go to seminary. And let the seminary people answer your questions or try to answer your questions. And I've spent over 10 years in seminaries at various degrees trying to get my questions answered. And I tell you that about myself this morning to just try to normalize that struggling with questions is part of what it means to be a faithful person. Doesn't mean you don't have faith. Doesn't mean your faith is weak. It's a normal thing to continue to grow in your faith and following Jesus Christ. You have to keep asking questions. Now, at certain parts of my life, my questions have been less intellectual, like, I don't really understand this and I want to understand it better, and more like, I would call them gut questions or heart questions. You know, you get yourself into some situations in life that, that involve some suffering, and you're kind of desperate for an answer to a question, not because you intellectually need to know, but because you're desperate for something to happen. So I can think of times in my life when my children weren't well, or I didn't know what to do with my life, or I wasn't sure about a relationship, or there was something really troubling in terms of justice that I wanted to do something about and I didn't know what to do. And you have these like gut-wrenching, on-your-knees, desperate, pleading with God, I, you have to answer me, you have to do something. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Those kinds of questions bring out this desperation like, God, if you don't do something with this, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. 
I need your help and I'm desperate for an answer. The story we're going to look at today in the Bible about King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel is one of those gut-wrenching kinds of moments where King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I am desperate for an answer to this question. And he's not a Hebrew person, he's not a Jewish person, and he's searching everywhere under the sun for someone who can help him get an answer to his question. And so what I, the question I want to frame our conversation with this morning is just, what do we do when we're desperate for answers? What do we do when we're desperate for answers to the questions in our lives, whatever those questions might be? So as I said, just brief background. The Jewish people in this part of the Bible, in the book of Daniel, have been removed from their homeland after hundreds of years of warnings from God that they were going to be removed from their homeland if they didn't change their ways. They were removed from their homeland. They're living in a kingdom of Babylon, and they're trying to figure out how do you live as a foreigner in a foreign place? We're no longer in the land that God gave us. We're not near the temple where we believe God's presence to be, that we can enter into God's presence. We can't do that anymore. We're trying to figure out how do we live out our identity as God's people when we're not in God's place and we're not near God's temple. That's part of what they're struggling with here. And Daniel is one of these gifted, smart, young Jewish people who's been identified by the kingdom of Babylon as somebody they want to have influence and is being trained and groomed to be a leader in, uh, in the king's realm. So here's how Daniel 2 begins. It says, in the second year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to him, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever! That's how you always have to start when you're talking about the king. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I've firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, then I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream... There's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. Now then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death 
and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Violent story, right? Angry king, desperate king. And at that time, kings are used to killing people who don't give them what they want. And so as we enter into the story, we see a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who is desperate for answers. Tell me the meaning of this dream. Don't just tell me the meaning of the dream. Tell me the dream first. And then interpret it for me. Demanding uh, answers from the people who were supposed to be the folks who understood the mysteries of the day. right? The people who were the wisest. The people who could help untangle the things that were the hardest to understand. And you can tell in the story that Nebuchadnezzar is already suspicious of their interpretations, right? Probably there's some history to this relationship. He doesn't just want the interpretation because he's worried they're just going to tell him something that sounds good. And he won't know if it's true or not. So as a test, he says, you could tell me the dream and the interpretation and then I will trust your interpretation. They say, this is way too hard. Nobody can do this. The gods don't don't reveal this kind of stuff to humans. The gods don't live among humans. The gods don't care enough about humans to reveal these kinds of mysteries. And so he gets frustrated and orders that all of them be killed. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want some human guess at what his dream means. He doesn't want some educated guess. He wants to know the truth. He doesn't want three opinions about what the dream might mean. He wants to know what it means. And he's looking for someone who can do that, that he can trust. A parallel to the 21st century, I think, is that lots of people who live, including us, lots of people are demanding answers to tough questions right now, aren't they? We're demanding answers of our political leaders. We're demanding answers of social influence social influencers, people who have ways of making change. People are desperate for answers on topics like how we keep our kids safe in the midst of more shootings and the killing of innocent people. People are desperate for answers on how to provide a fair opportunity for people from all backgrounds in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. People are desperate for answers about what makes for a meaningful life. Despite living in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, we're struggling with anxiety and depression and a search for meaning amidst all kinds of messages that try to tell us that life is really about relationships or it's about work or it's about saving money or it's about entertainment or it's about experiences or it's about happiness. But none of that is actually fulfilling us if we we take a minute to think about it. We know that we are made for more than some of the things we spend our time and energy on. We know deep down somewhere that there's meaning to life that goes beyond the things I just mentioned. And many people today, and I don't blame them, they want the religious leaders of our time, the spiritual people, to tell them the answers to these questions. Not to just make up stuff that sounds kind of good, but to actually say, what is the way forward? What's the true way that we approach some of the issues that we're facing? We can't find those answers just in government or just in business or just in education. We're searching for answers and we're not finding them. So where do we look? What do we do? Let's look and see 
what it is that Daniel decides to do when he finds out he's in this situation. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or if you know from Veggie Tales, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel's response to hearing that he was about to be killed based on the king's decree was to go straight into the presence of the king and say, we need more time. You don't, you maybe not appreciate how gutsy that is. When a king says we need to kill all these people, the last thing you want to do is march in front of the king because he may just behead you right there. But Daniel has this unbelievable courage, unbelievable confidence. And he marches right into the throne room of the king and he says, give us a little bit of time and we will do this for you. And then he goes back to his friends, and I'm sure the friends were thrilled with this, right? Like, hey, I just told the king we're going to take care of this issue. So let's do this together. Let's plead with God. Let's pray. Let's get on our knees. Let's fast. Let's beg the God of heaven to tell us what the dream is and what the interpretation is. We're desperate, right? We're backed up against the wall. We're going to get killed. Let's, let's pray and beg that God would tell us this. Daniel, you see throughout the book, has this daily connection with God that gives him hope in the midst of these kinds of terrible circumstances. Daniel knows God because he every single day talks to God, listens to the story of Scripture, invites God to influence his life. We get this picture of Daniel throughout the book. He has this connection with God that gives him this unbelievable confidence and hope. And for Daniel, the only way to solve this issue is to go directly to God and ask for God's wisdom. I think we have to look at this and say, we have got to have the same kind of reflex as Christians. When we're facing these really challenging problems and we need wisdom, the first thing we need to do is look to God the way Daniel looks to God. It's tempting to try and find ways around God in your life. Really tempting especially in the 21st century. I don't need to ask God. I know somebody. I can get the answer. I can fix this myself. 
I have a network of people who are going to support me through this. Maybe sometimes we feel like we don't ask God anymore because we're not sure God's going to answer. I know I have that struggle. I don't know that I want to petition God for this answer because I'm not sure God's going to do anything. So I'm not going to ask. And I'm not going to talk to God about it. Prayer can be a struggle in that way, can it? But Daniel has this hope that God will act, that God will rescue them, because he's for years in his own life and the life of his people seen that God does these kinds of things. So he goes to his friends and he says, let's pray and let's get God to help us. In a few places of the book of Daniel, and I want to make sure this is really clear for you this morning, in a few places in the book of Daniel, we get this window into Daniel's faith and his friend's faith. And there's these little hints in places where you realize that they are desperately asking God to act. They believe that God's going to act. But they also know that sometimes God doesn't act. And even though that's true, they're believing anyway. You see this in stories that we'll talk about in the future weeks. But Daniel knows, like, even if God doesn't save us, the only way for us to get saved in this situation is for God to rescue us. And so we're going to go to God and try to get the answer that we need. We all need to have that same kind of faith where we believe that God will act and we also know that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we expect. And that's real hard, isn't it? It would be a lot easier if every time you prayed something to God, you got what you asked for. Or you heard very clearly that God said, no, that's a dumb thing to ask for. But it doesn't work that way in real life. Sometimes you pray for a really long time for something and you don't see it happen. And we have lots of people in Scripture who are models of waiting a really long time for something that they asked for that didn't happen. And so that's really hard. But if, it cause, if the difficulty of that causes us to not have that reflex of going to God because we're not sure if God's going to answer, then we lose out on God's action in our life altogether, don't we? And so we have to live with that tension that God might not answer the way we hope, but we still have to ask. God hears Daniel and his friends' prayers, and he shares the king's dream with Daniel. And immediately, God doesn't run to the king first. The very first thing Daniel does when he gets the dream is start praising God. He starts singing. He starts thanking God for the answered prayer and giving God glory and, and honor for what God has revealed to them. And so now they have a different kind of hope in this story, don't they? They have a different kind of confidence. And that confidence sends, God, sends Daniel right back into the king's throne room. Here's what happens next. It says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his, this dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Nobody can do that. Here's my favorite part of this whole story. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying there in the bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to, has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Nobody can do that, Daniel says. Nobody can. But there is a God. And if I was a good hooper, a hooper is an African-American preaching term where you use a line and you, you use a verse. Pastor Don is shaking your head. If a white guy was good at hooping, this is where they would hoop. And they would say, there's a lot of moments in life where it feels like there's no hope. But the text says, and the story says, and Jesus teaches us, but God still can do things. But there's still a God in heaven. And if there's a message that the 21st century needs most desperately right now, and people are feeling hopeless and desperate and alone and unsure of what to do, the Christians in the world need to be sharing this message. But there's still a God in heaven. Amen? But there's still a God in heaven who can do things that humans can't do. There's still a God in heaven who can accomplish things that when we look at them with just our resources and our intelligence and our abilities, we can't solve them. There's still a God in heaven who cares about human affairs, who cares enough about us to give us dreams and visions and understanding and wisdom so we can live the way that God created us to live. And as Daniel would look back on his history of his people, he would have story after story after story of how something seemed impossible, but then there was a God in heaven. We were stuck in Egypt under slavery for 400 years, but then there was a God in heaven. We were trapped inside of, our own, um, inside of our own insecurities, and we didn't know if we could move into this new land. But then there was a God in heaven who led us. There was a God in heaven who equipped us. I want you to do this this week. I did an exercise over the last few days where I went back in my own life, not just the biblical history, but my own life, and I wrote down some stories of things where it seemed like something was impossible, but then God did something amazing. When you have no hope, you have to go back to the stories to remember what God has already done in other people's lives, in the biblical story, in your own life, to regain the kind of hope you need to have the kind of confidence that Daniel has to do the things that God has created us to do. I'll share one quick story. There was many years ago now, a couple in our church who was going through a terrible relational problem, and it looked like their marriage was going to end. Carissa and I were meeting with them periodically. And I, rem I will never forget this moment. They were sitting at our, our dining room table. And everything about the situation seemed like this was going to end in divorce. And there was this moment where we were praying and hoping and begging God to do something. And one of the partners in this relationship reaches their hand across the table. And they hadn't touched each other in a really long time. And the other person reached their hand across the table and set their fingers like this. And if I've ever felt a miracle, it was in that moment. 
something unlocked. And they were, had good therapists, and they had good support, and they had good family, and they had all the things they should have. They were doing all the right things. But God had to unlock something that was deeper than that. And it happened right there, right in front of our eyes. And they kept going to therapy, but the therapy started helping in a way that it hadn't helped before. And this very moment, this couple, called by God, is serving in Africa as missionaries with their children, serving other people's children and strengthening other people's marriages because of that one moment where it seemed like all hope was lost, but there was still a God in heaven. And I could stand up here for the next hours and hours and tell stories about like that from Mill City Church's history and beyond Mill City Church's history of young people struggling with depression and anxiety that God helped them to find healing. People working through advocacy efforts to bring justice to people who had no hope. The list goes on and on and on. We have to be those storytellers right now. Do you hear me? We have to be people who know how to say, it seems hopeless right now, but there's a God in heaven. No one can do what you're asking, but there is a God in heaven. Let me invite the band to come back up. My sermon's too long, so let me try to shorten it. I want to make this one last, one last point clear. In that section I just read to you, Daniel makes an important statement. He says, look, I'm not telling you this interpretation so you'll think I'm the wisest man in your kingdom, which would have been great for Daniel, right? Would have been a good career move for Daniel. But that's not what he says. He says, the reason I've been given this interpretation is so that you can understand the dream because you need to understand the dream because God has put you in this position. God wants people of all kinds, from all backgrounds, to know who God is, who they are, and what the plan is for their life. God is speaking to a non-Jewish, non-Hebrew king through dreams, through Daniel, because that king has a gut feeling. He needs to know the meaning of that dream. And Daniel says, I won't have time to read the dream for you. You can read the rest of it this afternoon. The dream says, there's a kingdom coming after yours, and one after that, and one after that, and one after that, and one after that. And then ultimately, there's going to be a kingdom that God raises up that will have no human king. And that kingdom will last forever. He needed King Nebuchadnezzar to know that Jesus was coming. And Nebuchadnezzar could feel it, even though the name of Jesus would have never crossed his lips. God wants us to understand. God doesn't want us to wander around confused about how best to live our life. But God asks us to ask God for the wisdom in order to do the things that God has called us to do. Daniel has hope because he knows God. Daniel has hope because he trusts God. His hope has inspired confidence in God that helps him continually go to God for wisdom in dealing with the problems of his day. We've seen God do some incredible things, haven't we? We got to remember them this week. We got to remind ourselves of those things. We've got to ask other people to remind us when we don't have that in us at the moment to remind us of the things that God has done. Let the hope that we have increase your confidence in God this week whatever circumstances you might be facing, whatever questions you have that you're wrestling with that maybe are keeping you up at night, 
Bring them to God in prayer. Bring them to faithful friends who can pray with you. Be vulnerable and say, I need, I'm desperate. I need an answer to this question. Please petition God with me. Pray with God with me and believe with me that God will do it. Amen?